0: Hello, welcome to the Scott Gooding Project Podcast. Each episode I'll chat openly with someone passionate about what they do and have a vision for our future. The project is designed to be thought provoking and hopefully spark conversation about optimizing health and performance. What I actually love about doing this podcast is the opportunity to meet truly inspiring people. And my next guest is no different. So I drop into the Black Dog Institute in Sydney and speak to Simon Rosenbaum, PhD, who is the director of Exercise Sports Science Australia and an honorary fellow of Black Dog Institute. Enjoy. Well, Welcome to the show, Simon Rosenbaum. Um... As always, I like to set the scene. We're sitting in in an office in um, Black Dog Institute in Randwick, um, part of the the hospital here. And mate, I'd like to say that this is the first time that we've met. Um, (laughs) But alas, we met last week and um, sat down in this very office, had an hour chat about the merits of exercise on your mood and the whole exercise your mood um, campaign and initiative through Black Dog. Um but I forgot to plug in the microphone. So uh Simon's been very generous and given up his time yet again. He's got a very busy schedule so um kudos to you Simon for um giving up another 45 minutes or 40 minutes or how long we got maybe 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's no the average cool. version. Um so yeah, um I get, I guess I just want to talk to you about firstly about a little bit about you. Um, and your ascendancy to the role that you have now. Reading your email signature with all the letters after your name and all, all your titles, when I walked in here last week, I was expecting a, a, a grey-haired man with uh, uh, spectacles um, on a little chain around your neck. But uh, you're actually... Of those here. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. How old are you? i 30. 30? Fuck, that's a lot of letters in <laughs> a very short space of time. So how, how, how was that uh ascendancy i guess yeah what did you study at uni and and all the rest of it yeah i mean i've I've
1: got to say i've been pretty lucky because i think the concept that we're trying to sell here which is the idea of integrating exercise as part of treatment for people experiencing mental illness it's it's a really easy thing to sell um so my background was exercise physiology um i studied here at unsw and then i um, in my final year of my undergrad, I happened to get offered a, a job at a psychiatric hospital purely by chance. I had a family member working there in, in finance. Um, and I remember I was at a beach in Byron Bay on holidays, and he called and said, Do you want to come and open the gym? They need someone. And he knew I was studying something to do with yeah. exercise. Um, at the time, I thought that sounded like you know, it was a, a bit strange. It was out of left field. We'd had no exposure to mental health as part of our course. Um, but I thought it sounded like a great idea, and so I kind of went along, and, you know, they, they really just handed me a dress alarm and left me to my own devices in the gym. Um, and really quickly, the you know, I noticed the people that were using the service were, were mainly police officers, emergency service workers, veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder. So are these inpatients? Inpatients, yeah. yeah. And they, they just kept telling me the exact same thing, which was that exercise was... You know such an important part of their not just their recovery but managing their condition mm. um and when i began looking into it i was sort of frustrated that there was no funding available for rebates on gym memberships or for clinical exercise programs um and then i was lucky to be working with people at the george institute at the time um and they basically said look who, who no, are they so kathy sherrington was was um you know i owe, I owe a lot to her because she took me under a wing with with no experience and no money behind me um, yeah. And decided to to run a trial to try and generate that evidence to say, look, does exercise actually help? Which we did, and we showed that that, that it, of course, has a significant effect. Um, and then I guess that's led me to some of the other work around, you know, then using that evidence to try and advocate for this this sort of um, including these sort of interventions as part of routine care. Mm. So, what what year was that? <clears throat> so I finished my PhD in 2014. So from 2011 or 2010 through to 2014, I was working at um, st john of god hospital in richmond and around the same time i was also doing a lot of work with the early psychosis program here at bondi mm-hmm. um, where we set up a you know really what's a, a world first program where we've got a dietitian, an exercise physiologist we converted an old meeting room at the early psychosis center into a gym and mm-hmm. um, we managed to get a few things donated and we got a small grant from the commonwealth bank which allowed us to buy some equipment we had exercise physiology students and now um there's probably over around a million dollars of recurrent funding we've got three full-time permanent teams providing these interventions across across the district
0: yeah right so it, I, I know it's only a short amount of time but in that time since you've come on board in this arena and with all the the research that's been flying around have you seen a change in the landscape in terms of you know as you say something simple like a rebate for for a patient or a gym being installed in a in a clinic or enormous changes i think it's cultural as well so um you know i can tell you an example
1: a couple of years ago we organized through exercise sports science australia at one of the psychiatry conferences to have a stall so if you imagine going to a psychiatry conference you walk into the trade area and you've got Mm. all the pharmaceutical companies Mm. And then we had us with a bunch of exercise bikes, and treadmills, and yeah. and we were doing testing on the delegates, so on the, the psychiatrist. And the idea was to try and just have a chat to them about what we do and expose them to it. And the first time we did that a couple of years ago, I remember it was it was a complete novelty. People were kind of like, "What what is happening here?" Yeah we did it again this year and the conversation has completely changed right. and the people coming to us were just saying yep yeah, we know this works how do we refer what's yeah, the right. pathway yeah okay. so there's been a huge shift culturally i think in in the general public awareness of the benefits of exercise not only for physical health but for mental health and mental well-being mm. but also within the medical world i think mm. we're getting huge traction and i know last week after we we finished up i ran to a, another hospital where we've just mm. purchased some equipment and we had an opening there and that was great so yeah it's it's catching on and i think we're you know we're definitely leading here in australia we're in a really fortunate position in terms of having a you know professional groups that can provide these sorts of interventions so mm. we're not
0: just lobbying for a concept we're lobbying mm. for a group to actually provide mm. this sort of stuff do you think it's a uh, it's been a natural course of evolution like this raised awareness or has there been some tipping point like what, what's the That's been the catalyst it's a good point i think it's probably a couple is of. is it things. all down to you no no definitely not <laughs> yeah. definitely not i think it's
1: one thing for exercise people like you and I to say this helps but it's another thing when it comes from you know within the medical world or or, or, or from a bit of a separate out of left field mm. and I think that has more of an impact and we're mm. seeing a lot of you know um, junior psychiatrists and psychiatry registrars that are still training that are completely on board with this message mm. um, you know I know one up in Queensland who's doing his PhD in physical activity and mm. to have a, a psychiatrist doing that is, mm. is incredible mm. so I think there's a few things also if we look at what's happening in the general media, you know, there are certain TV shows promoting cooking, promoting exercise, and that's Mm. sort of accepted as as something that that I guess it's on trend to be Mm. kind of looking after health. And so we're able to apply that to this idea of, you know, people that are experiencing
0: mental illness and it's quite an acceptable Mm. treatment. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's epidemics across the Western world and and Australia with obesity and diabetes and disease related to inflammatory inflammation systemic inflammation Um, so it's very easy to sort of paint this dark and gloomy picture but and i talk about this quite often but i actually think that as what you're saying is that there's this there's this incline there's this trajectory that we're moving in the right direction and i think part of that is obviously it stems from great research but the message is sort of proliferated and spread through social media. Like social media, I don't love social media, but I think it has a, in this instance, has a positive impact. Um, People can share a story, a message really, really quickly. And so that dissemination of information doesn't come from sort of medical practitioners and and it's through those vertical channels that can be slow and sort of get clogged up and Chinese whispers, but... um, Yeah, information gets flung around the world really, really quickly now. And, you know, there's lots of shit information in there too, but... The good stuff comes out. Yeah, it's like sifting, right? Like the the good information will sort of rise to the top. And there's a lot of, um,
1: I guess, not so much pressure, but there's a big focus on academics now to actually what they call knowledge translation. Um, and I think for us, you know, it's one thing to write the paper. But people don't read papers, you know. I mean, no. it's, it's myself and my co-authors that are reading the paper. Mm. But actually, you know, when the work really starts, once the paper's published, because that's when we have to actually get behind and advocate it mm. and put that into a form that the people who need it can actually use it. Mm. Um, you know, I use Twitter a lot, you know, to, to try and share information. I think it's a, it's a really effective way mm. of getting the message out mm. there. And it, it redefines, I think, well, we, kind of, we need to redefine what academic success and how we actually you know function they talk about the the ivory tower and all that sort of stuff and i think we've
0: absolutely got to be out there engaging with the public and trying to sell what it is that we're that we're finding well well, i guess exercise your mood month which is an initiative that's run by black dog every year in the month of september i guess that's a vehicle to sort of steer or showcase your research right
1: definitely and to put it into into um again, a way that people can actually understand it. You know, The messaging is quite clear, and, and I what's really nice about the campaign this year is the tagline, take the first step, and I think that really actually sums up what we know and the evidence really, really well, mm. which is that if you're doing nothing, try for something, mm. and, and if you're doing something, try for a little bit more or something mm. a bit more complicated or a bit mm. harder, um,
0: and, and that's really as simple yeah. as it needs to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically wherever you are on the, the spectrum, whether... You're new to exercise or you're, you're on the treadmill so to speak just going that little bit extra you know as, as you say taking that first step you talked last week which i really loved i've never heard it before about the the blue and the green gym yeah sure because um, i, I want to talk a little bit about sort of um minimizing fear like i think there's a lot of stigma maybe or connotations attached with exercise and and so someone let's say for argument's sake um someone who's new to exercise never been to a gym never worked out but wants to wants to lift their mood um it would be very easy for them to attach being in a gym to being able to train but that's so not the case like you know we live in australia the sun's shining 90 percent of the time some beautiful scenery so i guess that's one of the messages that Just get out there and and take that first step. Yeah, find something you enjoy. And I think what we spoke about
1: last week was, you know, the idea that the people who are going to benefit the most from actually starting an exercise program are probably the ones that are least likely to do it. Um, You know, we know from a public health perspective, the biggest bang your buck, in terms of improving health, would be getting people that are completely sedentary to do something, even mm. if it's a 10-minute walk. Mm. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to be a lot. It doesn't just need to be in the gym. You know, you mentioned the blue gym, so the you know the ocean and mm. the water, and there's a lot happening around surfing and, and that sort of um, work. But then the green gym, just getting outside, going for a walk, and we know mm. that has a different impact on the brain in terms of being inside, so there's some exciting work around that.
0: Yeah, I, I saw some initiative. I can't remember who, who it was from or who it's been led by. But there was like a um, veterans or uh, PTSD surf camp. Have you seen that? Yeah, so there's a bit happening in the UK and also here.
1: So Joel Pilgrim is doing some fantastic work with the the One Wave group and they're running surfing interventions for for young people with with experiencing mental illness. Mm. Um, Again, it's just getting people out of that comfort zone and taking the first step Mm. to do something it's you know what we're seeing is that the actual activity is is almost irrelevant and there's Mm. stuff coming out around you know rock climbing and Mm. and surfing and just insert adventurous activity here yeah 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 um and again that the evidence that you know doing something is going to be beneficial and i think those sorts of activities speak to the social aspect they get people engaged yeah they offer some structure in someone's life and they may not have that structure otherwise
0: so there's a there's a Uh, whole range of benefits i I think if uh if you're one of those people people that sort of has resistance to exercise i think if you can incorporate play into it you're you're most likely to adhere to it right you've got to enjoy you
1: know we know what's associated with with people being able to be active over the long term um is is around motivation we've done a bit of work around looking at different types of motivation in terms of exercise, and this has been led by a colleague in Belgium, Davy Van Campfort, but really showing that we need people to exercise because they want to exercise, mm. because they value it, and they see the benefits for themselves. So there's no point us as trainers just telling people, look, go and do this, because we know it, it, it doesn't
0: work over the long term. Mm. You know, changing behavior is really hard. Yeah. And so enjoyment is absolutely yeah, it might, You know, I've, I've been a PT and health coach for 12 years, so I've, I've experienced firsthand that people you know, come on board and they're, they're your client for however long, but typically, there's that initial motivation to, to come on board because they want to lose weight, they're, you know, it's their wedding coming up, whatever the motivation is. But a classic example is if I was to ever go on holiday, you know, I could be with a client for, let's say three years. If I go on holiday for three weeks, I would leave them a program to carry out whilst I was away i reckon 99 times out of 100 that client wouldn't because the it's almost like they need me but it needs to be intrinsic it needs to be an A, and maybe that's not the right that wasn't the right sort of setup for them they need to find something that does incorporate play or does incorporate being more social yeah, it, it's, it's fast. It's tricky, it's, and it comes... You know, we I think we talked last week about the, the physical activity
1: guidelines, you know, and I think often those guidelines actually act as a deterrent instead of a motivator mm. for people because, you know, for people that are sedentary, they're so unrealistic. Mm. You know, they talk about 150 minutes a week or, you know, 10,000 steps per day, etc. Um, but often for a lot of people, just getting up out of bed, mm. and especially when we're talking about people that are, um, mm. you know, experiencing a mental illness, and we know that the general population, you know, are, are inactive, enough, yeah, yeah. And, and we've actually... Um, been pretty ineffective from a public health point of view over the past 20 years at actually getting people more active. We, we haven't really had much of an effect through the public health strategies that we're using. Um, so if we, you know, think about compounding those barriers for people with a mental illness, so mm. that, that low motivation, don't have the time. Mm.
0: It's kind of amplified, right? Exactly. Yeah. And
1: so we've got to be aware of that when we're, when we're telling people. And, you know, that's why I think the messaging around this campaign, Take the First Step, is, is a really nice message because it, it speaks to exactly what we know in terms of the Do, do we
0: have any stats on the, the people in, let's say, Australia that are inactive? So it's around 65%. 65%. the top of my head. Yeah, yeah Right. So
1: somewhere in that ballpark. Um, mm. So you know, the majority are inactive, and, yeah. and that's even worse among people experiencing mental illness. Mm. So we know that people with, you know, for example, schizophrenia or depression are less likely to be active. Mm. They also have a significantly reduced fitness levels, and we know that fitness is related to, mm. to our overall health and well-being, and our longevity and our, how we function. Mm. So fitness is hugely important, and a lot of the work that we're doing is is looking at whether actually fitness is one of the key factors that. When we change our fitness, it, it leads to improved
0: mood. Um, so you've been doing a lot of work with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. Can you share sort of the top-line uh, research findings that you've, you've? Yeah, sure. So the the original study we did was was
1: the first um, clinical trial to look at exercise for PTSD, and we took eighty-one inpatients uh, with severe post-traumatic stress disorder and and ran split them into two groups. And, and where are these where are these people from, like the forces and... Yeah, so their background was typically emergency service workers and, and also veterans. So we had a lot of contemporary veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan as well. Mm-hmm. Also uh, police, fire, ambulance workers. Um, and it's a huge issue. We get the, there's roughly one suicide every six weeks among Australian emergency service workers. Wow. So it's a it's a horrendous issue. Um And I think what resonates with me in terms of PTSD is that when you kind of read the files, I just go, "Well, look, I'd be in the exact same position if I Mm. was in Mm. your shoes." Because if you think about, they're running—you know—when everyone else is running away from something, they're running in. Mm. So it it makes sense that it's going to take its toll. Um, But what we found when we split them into two groups, and half the group got usual care, which was you know a combination of drugs and talking therapy, and half got usual care plus exercise. Um, and it had a, a clinically significant effect. Yeah, right. So it helping to reduce symptoms, and that was symptoms of PTSD, symptoms of depression, anxiety, and stress. And um, with, with that trial, how what was the
0: frequency of of exercise?
1: Yeah, so it's only a twelve week program, and the actual exercise it, it varied from person to person. It was okay. individualized. Right. For some people, the, the the exercise program was literally getting them out of bed and walking to the nurses station and back.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And we'd write that down, and we'd keep track of it, and then we'd try and increase the next day. Yeah. Um, a big part of it was strength training, so using elastic bands to try mm. and um, get get the muscles working and for a lot of people who are inactive, strength training is a great way to mm. start because mm. it doesn't have the same negative connotations that we have
0: around aerobic exercise mm. um, and we get the benefits quickly they feel their muscles working quickly mm. um, so is that is that more prescriptive over you know if you if you have one choice to prescribe cardio over Strength, you'd go strength each time. No, so this oh, okay. is it's interesting when I when I talk to students who want to start doing
1: research in this area that the very first thing they want to do is to compare aerobic versus exercise right. versus resistance, yeah, for yeah. example. And and my view is that it's actually irrelevant because it comes down to that person and what what they're yeah. prepared to do. Yeah. So the reason that that in a lot of situations I favour strength training is that if someone really doesn't want to do anything, so they, these were you know again they're inpatient so they're really quite unwell, and if I went to their room and said, look, let's go for a walk then they tell me to f off out of their room and that yeah. happened plenty of times yeah. but if i'd go in with an elastic band and say look we're, i'm going to be here for two minutes and we're going to do 10 bench presses with this elastic yeah. band then i'm going to leave you alone yeah and often they would do it just so i'd leave them alone but then the next day i could come back in and then we could just add a quick hundred meter walk mm. before we did the next set and mm. then we could build up to two sets and gradually
0: progress um and there was a great okay I, okay I I sorry i've yeah i'm just curious as to that the prescription and the language would be different depending on gender i'd would i be right in potentially saying potentially we were underrepresented in terms of females because okay. typically
1: at, you know that setting and the people that were coming in were, were predominantly males but the actual approach would be the exact same and you know for me it's finding out what that person wants to do what's going to work with their current you know their routine and their lifestyle and how we can build something in yeah um, so you know there was a great story i remember one um, patient really clearly who you know, was having difficulties with his, his wife and his relationships and he was withdrawn um, he started the program, he started um, then he started walking a bit more and then he kind of had the idea that maybe he could actually get back to playing golf because he was now walking he was up to walking that far he reengaged with his friends and that had a huge impact then on his, his relationship with his wife now that's not because of exercise, obviously, but that was the catalyst for actually mm. getting him moving mm. again and getting mm.
0: him re-engaged with his sort of su- support network. So, what, what's happening? Uh, I guess it'd be good to kind of dip into the the chemistry or the physiology, like what's what's actually happening uh, physiologically when we when we exercise. It's a good question. <laughs> we, we, we don't
1: actually know, right. so we've got a lot of work from from animal studies. Mm. Um, showing that you know certain parts of the brain may actually the volume may actually be increasing. Mm. Um, there's, there's a lot of work around certain hormones. so we talk about endorphins and that runner's high, which mm. is as simply as you know, you go for a walk or you do something and you feel pretty good afterwards. Mm. And that's that acute or immediate benefit. Um, but there's also some, some more simplistic ways of looking at it. If you um, have someone who, who isn't leaving the house or they're not getting out of bed, and you find an excuse to get them up out of the house and doing something for an hour and adding some structure and some routine, there's some social interaction. Mm. They develop some new skills. They're feeling pretty, you know, confident around these new skills. That in itself can have a, a huge impact. Mm. So physiologically, we, we, we don't actually know. There, right. There's still a lot of conjecture around what, what is the mechanism by which exercise helps.
0: Yeah.
1: What we do know is that we're kind of, we, although we still need to be looking at that, we're, we're kind of past that. And what we're looking at is, we know this helps. How can we help people to do it? Mm. Um, and part of that involves not just focusing on the individual, because we can't just sit next to someone and say, do more exercise, that's not going to work. Mm. And it requires a, a you know a cultural change, a system-level change, change the way we, we think about what a hospital looks like. Mm. Um, mm. You know, we know that, that the amount of time we spend sitting is related to our mood um, negatively. So if you're sitting for longer, then your mood is likely to be worse. And there's a great study from the US where they actually took young college men And made half of them inactive for a week told them they couldn't exercise Mm. um and their depression levels you know skyrocketed over that week right and these are healthy healthy young men Um, yeah right and so if we think about that and we think about what happens in in the medical world people are just sitting all day especially in psych hospitals yeah you you know visit these facilities and there's often not a lot happening Mm. um and so there's some simple things there around let's let's challenge the way that we accept you know what what treatment yeah, looks like si- simple and, and
0: accessible and affordable, like it's not an expensive intervention. Exactly. So yeah, these these patients you know, they're having, you know, treatment and um, you know pharmaceutical therapy,
1: which is all but super but important. Was, and we're not yeah, saying no, absolutely.
0: It's, but it's almost like, well, you can support that if you just get these people moving. Yeah. So you know, you you sort of you're giving them a leg up this side, but. You know, you sort of, it's compounding because on the other side, they're sedentary and, and depression disorder, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's another tool. I mean, look, I've got,
1: you know, um, people I've worked with and also family that have experienced PTSD. And whenever something, you know, they don't seem to be coping so well or there's, there's issues, there's three questions I ask, and it's are you eating, are you sleeping, and are you exercising? Mm. And, you know, basically without fail, when things aren't going well, then the answer to those questions is no. Mm. And immediately we have something that they can take control over. Mm. You know, they can immediately go and try and cook mm. up a healthy meal. Mm. They can try
0: and go for, even if it's a 10-minute walk,
1: and they can focus on getting to bed early mm. and sleep hygiene.
0: Yeah, I mean, we talked about this last week and that there's, you know, various silos within, within your life, and you've just mentioned a couple of them, sleep and... Nutrition and training and rest, recovery, hydration, and so there's not one sort of you know overarching solution. You just have to make sure that each and every silo is topped up as high as it can be, and it's only when that's the case that you're on the path to optimal health and and cognition. You know, like it, it only takes one shitty night's sleep to kind of you know firsthand how that makes you feel the next day. You're groggy. You're a bit more irritable. sleep is first and foremost again it's very very easy to control i I guess it does come down to sort of control you do have um control over what you put in your mouth or more probably more importantly what you don't put in your mouth when you go to sleep um technology around you you know you got a choice whether you switch that off or you know have that blue light interfering with your hormones uh late into the day there's there's lots of ways you can control and i think we talked about this last week in in terms of when you're born that sort of notion that you're you've been given the hand and you kind of have to deal with it um so we talked about epigenetics and the and the the role that food and exercise can can affect you know genes that are switched on or off uh and you can promote genes that sort of foster longevity and health. H- hugely important. And I think when we talk about food, there's some really exciting
1: work happening around diet and mental health at the moment. Mm. Um, and Felice Jacker is a, a professor down at Deakin in Melbourne, who's doing some amazing work showing a treatment effect of, of changing our diet and the impact on, on depression. Mm. So, and we, you know, I was also working with a dietitian at, at the early psychosis center, who's doing some fantastic work. Scott Teasdale around in, in Integrating dietetic consultations for people with psychosis and schizophrenia, mm. um, and you know we know that that group are dying, you know, about fifteen years earlier than the general mm. population due to preventable, premature cardiovascular Mm. disease. Mm. And we know what to do about it. It's not like we don't know. It's just about implementing it. Yeah. Um, And so I think this idea that, oh, look, it's too hard is is just rubbish. We know we can do it. And we also know that that patients actually want to engage Mm. with this sort of stuff, with things like smoking cessation, exercise, diet, but we need the
0: right support around them Mm. to do it. Well, it's great that it's heading in the right direction. Like, there's enough groundswell, there's enough research the messaging is, is is out there. Well, I think it's... I mean, the way I think about it as well is that if I was to wind up
1: receiving mental health treatment, which, you know, it's so common, um, you know, me or my family or my friends, I would I would expect that, that they would have access to the best evidence treatment available. Mm. And that includes exercise and diet. Mm. So it's a very simple message. And I think that, you know, treatment providers are catching on. Um, but the science is there. So... Mm. Um, it's just about the the implementation and just mm. making this work as mm. part
0: of as part of routine care. Mm. Um, we touched on this last week, but it's something. Um, it's an area that really excites me, and we can't. We kind of did almost go there, but the the notion of um, B BDNF. Um, can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, so we're talking about brain-derived neurotrophic factor, and I'm not
1: a neuroscientist by any means, but it's been referred to as a like, like fertilizer for your mm. brain and, and the impact it has on forming new connections and strengthening those connections. And we know that it's, it's the, you have high levels after exercise. So there's a lot of work being done looking at if, you know if that's potentially one of the mechanisms by which exercise helps um, people feel better and, and reducing symptoms mm. so it's it's an exciting area of research we you know there's no um, we still need more you know it's a bit mm-hmm. of a cliche but we mm. do need more um, data around that at the moment um, it's it, it's hugely important it's
0: not the focus of my work because I'm kind of interested in in, in the, the, the how like how can we yeah. just make this happen yeah so you're almost saying that we're not really sure of the why but does it really matter for the time being we know that it does promote yep yeah. we yeah. know this works so let's just get on with doing it yeah so you yeah know, and let's it's imp- not wait for the
1: yeah you know because again even if we come up with the you know the we could discover the you know the the, the number one reason why and what's happening in the brain but that's actually not going to help people to do it because we you know we've got yeah. so much science at the moment around the benefits of exercise but yeah, we've still got the majority of your population <laughs> sedentary so i think the, the the, the mechanisms and the, and the biology and the physiology is important and we need to know that, but that's not actually going to change behaviour. yeah So we need to be looking at, at at what makes an intervention, what makes an exercise
0: programme work for people that need it the most. Mm. And so one message that is coming through loud and clear is that, that whatever that intervention is, that needs to be tailored specifically to the individual. Of course. And it has to include preferences and likes and dislikes and... Yeah, yeah, and I think often when I'm working with students, they'll, they'll come up with this ideal program
1: and then they'll be shocked that when they get in in front of a person that it goes completely out the window yeah. because
0: there's no point having this amazing program if people aren't going to do it. Yeah, so, again, so then needs to be that sort of conversation yeah. beforehand, I guess. A blank piece of paper, and you know, yeah. find out what what are, what's going on in that person's life, and what are yeah. the what are the
1: underlying issues that that are either preventing or enabling them to be engaged in activity. Mm. How do they get to work? How are they commuting? What are the options for getting a little bit more activity in there? Mm. Um, you know, is it joining a sports team? Whatever it is, mm. but it, it's it's unique to that individual. And unless
0: we kind of try and go down that path, I think we're we're destined to fail. Really, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so. I'd like to just quickly talk about, you know, I guess, why we're here, why I'm talking to you. Um, as I said, we are in the Black Dog Institute, and this month through the whole of September is Exercise Your Mood Month, and it's literally an initiative to just try and encourage people to take that first step. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? I know we've sort of we've, we've kind of gone there, but... Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. I think, I mean, the campaign's fantastic, and it's great to see, you know, um, uh, institute like like Black Dog that's, you know, so reputable within the mental health field, um, getting behind this and showing the importance of it. Um, and also great to have ambassadors like yourself, you know, promoting what it is that, that this is about. So I think the the idea is that, that it's promoting the message that exercise can help. And we don't say that exercise is a, is a standalone treatment or it replaces mm. medication. You know, that's absolutely not the case. It's, it's another tool that people yep. can use in their tool belt to help manage their condition. Mm. Um, you know, we don't, it, it's not a cure, but for some people it can be really, really effective. Mm. Um, and so that's really the, the fundamental message again we know that something is better than nothing and mm. the, the people listening who, who are not doing anything mm. if they can work 10 minutes into their, their mm. routine they're the ones that are going to benefit the
0: most and I guess you, you've got to ask yourself if there, if there is resistance to it you've got to ask yourself what have I got to lose You know, exactly. it, it's, it's, it's no you don't have to join a gym you don't have to be confronted with from that perspective if you've got some shitty old training shoes throw them on I go do. for a walk <clears> Um try that consistently for a week and and just kind of see how that affects you and i think it's really important that that we separate
1: the idea of exercise for mental health from weight loss because often Mm. that's a huge barrier for people and we know that actually exercise is a pretty ineffective way to lose weight Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're changing your diet, you're probably not going to change your mm-hmm. weight through exercise. So just um, see it as a mood. Uh, sorry, see it as a, a
0: tool to lift mood. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Like
1: but it? also for the other range of benefits: so mood, sleep, um, you know, reducing risk of chronic disease. Mm. There's, there's, you know, generally improving how we feel, giving us more energy. There's a whole range of benefits that that are independent of weight loss. Mm. Um, and what's really disappointing is that the messaging around exercise for weight loss that's getting out is. can can be quite demotivating for people Mm. because they might start an exercise program and then, you know, they might see that the scales Mm. haven't moved Mm. and that can be hugely demotivating. But actually, you know, with the people I work with, we we, we don't even weigh people. Before before that, I would be asking them, right, you've been exercising now for a month. How are you feeling? Mm. You know, how hard is it walking up a set of stairs compared to where you started? How hard is it lifting
0: your grandkids or whatever it is Mm. that... That's relevant to that person mm. before we go to weight. Yeah, we, I mean, there's such a strong attachment to exercise being the solution to to health uh, and weight management. But it's as you're saying, like it's it's not the case, you no, know. Not at that all. If, if you're really uh, serious about your um, losing weight, like it needs to be, you know, you look at your sleep, you look at your nutrition. Um, sure, training and exercise it's part of the picture. But it's certainly not the complete solution. Spot on. It's exactly yeah. what the, the sort of messaging that we're that we're mm. pushing, and, and that's what the science is telling us too. Mm. All right, a little bit more about you, Simon. Um, so, what, what's your jam? Uh, how do you train? <laughs> that's, well, at the moment, I'm actually I'm heading off <laughs> on a, a charity bike ride on Thursday. So we're
1: we're riding from from Perth to Broome mm. with a, a group called Tour Across Oz, and they're actually raising money for for the Black Dog Institute, but Great. also promoting this idea of exercise and mental health. I'm not at all ready. I was. <laughs> you um, weren't ready yeah. last week. No, so I'm, I'm not ready now either. <laughs> Less um, ready. Yeah. So, but but that should be fun. It'll be great to be able to visit some of the remote. Have
0: you, have you actually been on a bike since we spoke? I was out this morning. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a hard um a hard ask though. But, but it yeah. should be good.
0: Is there um scheduled sort of stops along the way where you can? talk to community
1: yeah so we're doing a couple of stops and we're doing some talks and and i guess just promoting the message um and we're going to be there's some some high profile ambassadors that are joining so um, adam goods will be there right um and i think just visiting some of these remote towns and actually pushing this idea about the benefits of exercise and mental health and just
0: i guess breaking down some of the stigma around mental illness as well is really Mm. important because yeah arguably those people need to hear it um just as much as city folk you know like it's that information as i said that does get spread so much more quickly than it ever used to but there are areas in australia that you know need that information they need it today still silos we've got to break down you know there's this separation between mind and body and the
1: stigma associated with mental illness and you know there's a lot of great campaigns are you okay Mm. day and Mm. you know it's not week to speak and all the sort of messaging that's having a big impact but i think there's still a long way to go Mm.
0: given how how prevalent and common mental illness is yeah yeah i I mean I, i was talking to another black dog institute um person earlier and it's just there are so many campaigns these days which is great but i guess it reflects the severity of the of mental health in australia like if there wasn't demand you know yeah. I mean at any one point it's about one in
1: five are suffering but um, at any point in their life about 45% of the population will experience some sort of mental health condition right. so it's hugely prevalent and I think you know again what I say to a lot of our exercise physiology students is that even if you're not interested in, in specializing in that area if you're working with people you're going to come across mm. mental health issues and mm. that's just especially if you're talking about behavior change so mm. it's something that we all need to be upskilled on and, and aware of and being able to look out for um, you know and I think again activity physical activity offers a great way of, of actually starting those conversations mm. it's non-confrontational it's you know it, and people get talking when, they, when they're moving and when they're lifting weights
0: mm. so just looking at that map up there mate, of Australia <laughs> you, you don't think that's confrontational <laughs> it is for me it's <laughs> giving me a little bit of anxiety just looking at it so you're off on Thursday yeah we're off we start riding Saturday right so. So fly across, get settled in. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and see how we go. Yeah, well, all the best for that. And uh I know this is take two. So thanks again for your time, no, mate. Thank really you. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me. All right. All the best.